Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to This Week in FCPA. First, a word from our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional, independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitor is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors at W www.affiliatedmonitors.com. As President Trump draws diagrams on hurricane maps around Alabama and Walmart bans the sale of handguns and certain ammo, we take a look at some of the week's top compliance and ethics stories, including how compliance led to Walmart's decision to ban guns and the ammo. We look at the compliance game plan for the first 18 months that you sit in the CCO chair. Wells Fargo reads a New York Times article and starts an internal investigation after ignoring internal whistleblowers on the closed account scandal. A Texas woman violates the FCPA in Africa adoption. We take a look at customer blind spots and due diligence. And Jace talks about how monitors can help in the administrative proceedings process. How does compliance factor into Brexit? And Jonathan Marks talks about the role of the board of directors as shown in the Juniper Network's FCPA enforcement action. Odebrecht is spanked again. And um, the podcast series this week I'm featuring, I have a new podcast series, Converge 19, where I talk to some of the upcoming speakers, including Rebecca Ream and Matt Doherty, Ubi Seminary and Mark Thurman, Norm Hodney and Jane Arno. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist and the Voice of Compliance, together with Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors, for This Week in FCPA, episode 170, for the week ending September 6th, 2019, the Alabama Sharpie edition. Jay, with the sales, with Walmart banning the sales of handguns and certain ammo and President Trump using a Sharpie to claim Hurricane Dorian is headed towards Alabama, stay strong, Alabama, we are back to discuss some of the week's top compliance and ethics stories. I know uh, there's been a run on Sharpies um, here in Texas. I don't know what the uh, situation is in California, though. Well, I don't, I don't know if we uh, are allowed to use Sharpies. They, they're not biodegradable. and I'm sure we would take a more uh, friendly environmental uh, writing utensil. Well, we've got a lot of uh, stories to get into. You want to just jump right into it? it. Well, Jay, as uh, as we noted in our lead-in, Walmart has decided to ban uh, handgun sales throughout the United States and certain ammo sales. Uh, this is certainly, I think, a, a great response to the multiple tragedies we've had recently regarding uh, mass shootings, uh, one occurring at a Walmart. And it shows that a CEO can respond to the employee concerns and that um, Walmart's decision in large part uh, was based around its compliance function. Jacqueline Jager wrote a really good article in Compliance Week 
which we link to. But also, there was a, uh, a letter released by the uh, CEO of Walmart, and we've linked to that in show notes. And I thought it was one of the, the top letters I've recently received or seen from a CEO, and he talked about a company's responsibility to multiple stakeholders, uh, including employees, including customers, uh, including shareholders, and really bringing safety into the discussion as uh, affecting every stakeholder. So kudos to Walmart uh, for doing this, certainly needed. And uh, in addition to the, if I could call it, personal changes made by Walmart as a company, they also uh, engaged Congress and the president uh, with lobbying to try and get them to do something, um, however useful that might be. At least they tried to initiate the political process as well. So uh, next up, Tom, uh, you and Jonathan Marks have put together a compliance game plan for the CCO in his or her first 18 months. Can you tell us about that? This really started with a friend of mine who uh, was uh, moving to a CCO role, and we had a conversation about what she should uh, think about in her first year. And so I thought about it, and I put together a, uh, a game plan for her, and it turned out to be 18 months I sent it up to Jonathan Marks for his review and comment, and uh, after we put our heads together, we realized we had something that could be very useful to a wide variety of uh, compliance practitioners in addition to uh, someone moving into the CCO role. So we put together a list of things that you can do over the first 18 months. We broke it down in the first 30 days, 90 days, um, first year, and then in the first uh, uh, for six months and then in the first year. Uh, I think it's a great resource. It's available on the Baker Tilly website. Uh, Shout out to Baker Tilly for um, uh, doing the production. Uh, Just a great-looking e-book. So uh, check it out. Uh, If you have any questions, you can uh, either contact myself or Jonathan on it. But uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, and it's uh, incredibly useful, I think, and really lays out a way for you to think through the improvement of your compliance program even if you're not new or going to a new CCO role, it helps you to think through what can I do over the next year to improve my compliance program. Jay, it, yeah, it looks so like your up, buddies uh, up the oh, coast ahead, at Wells sorry. Fargo are back in the news. Is that even possible? Yes. Say no. Say yes, but say something. Yes, it's totally possible. Oh, no, Mr. Bill. Uh About three weeks ago, the New York Times broke a story that we commented on on This Week in FCPA where Wells Fargo was charging customers after they closed their accounts. Because the accounts were closed, the customers, of course, had no knowledge they were being charged. And they were literally racking up six-figure charges for these closed accounts. It was so bad that Wells Fargo, uh, an internal collection division of Wells Fargo, uh, complained via the whistleblower hotline about what was going on. Wells Fargo, of course, did nothing. Uh, But after the Times story broke about three weeks ago, Jay, uh, this week they announced they have begun a, quote, extensive review, end quote, of the way it closes customers' accounts and the fees it charges some customers even after their accounts have been closed. They reported this via, uh, t- uh, via uh, a letter to Senator Elizabeth, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who, as you might guess, um, reacted with outrage based upon the uh, Times article and sent a letter to Wells Fargo demanding that they actually do something. So um, 
probably uh, more problems for Wells Fargo. Uh, I don't have a, an account at Wells Fargo, nor am I ever likely to after their series of just uh, incredible actions towards customers, potential customers, and even former customers, Jay. It, it just boggles the mind. I mean, uh, that uh, stagecoach has been around for years and years, and unfortunately it seems like it's not going to get out of the news. Uh, next up, we have a story that comes to us from our good friend Dick Casson over the FCPA blog. Uh, and the, entitled, the article is entitled, Texas Woman Admits FCPA Conspiracy and African Adoption Scam. And the particulars are uh, Robert Longoria, 58, of Mansfield, Texas, pleaded guilty in federal court in Ohio to one count of conspiracy to violate the FCPA and to commit wire and visa fraud. Her sentencing date hasn't been set yet, and she's been released on $20,000 bond. Longoria and others bribed court registrars and judges in Uganda who would be adoption-friendly to her agency's U.S. clients. She paid the bribes through an agent disguised as fees and hid the brides from the clients. The defendant compromised protections for vulnerable Ugandan children in an undetermined United States visa screening process. Um, what happened was a local report from Ohio said that the FBI had been investigating a now-closed nonprofit agency called European Adoption Consultants that was based in Cleveland. Um, the FBI raided the agency in February of 2017, and the scam had operated uh, adoption programs in Bulgaria, China, Colombia, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Haiti, Honduras, India, Panama, Poland, Tanzania, Uganda, and Ukraine. So uh, we've never seen, uh, in my recollection, have we ever seen a bribery scam with adoption uh, fall under FCPA? I think that's correct. Always something new. Uh, Next up, we have uh, an article that's coming to us from Sam Sheen, and it's posted in Corporate Compliance Insights. It's called Blind Spots and Customer Due Diligence. Assumptions are dangerous, and Sam Sheen, financial crime expert at Efficient Frontiers International, EFI, shares the story of a criminal who seemed above board but would certainly have found out sooner without, with proper customer due diligence. And this is about uh, a university academic who is a Ph.D. in engineering. The doctor was Iranian-born and later became a British citizen. He still had families who lived in Iran, and he was known to travel there. Uh, Basically, he was running a a scheme where he was getting grants from the U.K. government as well as the E.U. These grants came in, and then he would uh, turn cash over and try to travel with it. And when he was traveling with it, a drug-sniffing, or in this case a money-sniffing dog, found out that he had over... $100,000 in cash that was stashed in his bags. And based on the fact that he was a learned professor, uh, there were several blind spots that happened in terms of letting him get away with the scheme. Uh, From the doctor's perspective, he was allowed to maintain a large bank balance. Uh, He worked at Cambridge University, which gave him uh, a certain uh, rapport there between... uh, 
companies and given him a certain level of respect. There were companies A and B who were named in the scheme. Uh, they also had issues with uh, internal controls. And finally, we had a drug sniffing doggy who found the cash at the border. So, uh, as Forrest Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates, but uh, you don't want to have a box of chocolates when a money sniffing doggy is around. I've got one more for you from Corporate Compliance Insights, and this is uh, one of my uh, articles in the series of healthcare. It was part four, and uh, this week I took a look at how an independent integrity monitor can be effectively used in non-disciplinary administrative proceedings. Uh, I think we've talked about this before, Tom, and one of the chief situations that we see this in is in hospital conversions, when you either have a for-profit merging with a non-profit hospitals or two non-profits uh, merging. And there are basically several multiple, uh, re multiple public interests that need to occur when a non-for-profit entity is bought by a for-profit entity. Those include, include making sure that the healthcare provider will provide services for a reasonable amount of time, that they will be a good neighbor, that they will pay taxes, and that they will continue charitable donations. Uh, what happens here is that a monitor can consider factors that may seem to be less related to healthcare but could impact the conversion. Uh, as we said, this deals with charitable assets, granting of licenses, and essentially the independent integrity monitor extends the capability of a state agency and regulator and it allows them to confirm that entities are meeting conditions. And the best part I've saved for last is that the cost of the independent healthcare monitor are borne completely by the acquiring entity. So we link to that in the show notes, and next week I'm going to conclude my series on healthcare monitors when we consider how independent integrity assessments and monitoring can be used to limit adverse consequences. Chaotic as the political situation is in the United States, I have to report that it is about one one-thousandth of the chaos that the United Kingdom is currently in. I don't know if you've been reading this week, but uh, Bojo, um, uh, the uh, poodle do, uh, Trump's poodle, uh, has completely fallen on his face uh, trying to move towards a Brexit, losing two key parliament votes. But uh, I come now not to uh, praise Caesar, but to report about Brexit from the compliance perspective. And Jonathan Rausch, one of the uh, top commentators around and uh, kind of a latecomer to the commentariat, but just a, a great blog called Dipping Through Geometries uh, that we link to, you should definitely subscribe to. He wrote a very short piece earlier this week on the com some of the compliance angles for Brexit. And uh, I really hadn't thought about it from the compliance perspective because I thought compliance is, you know, multinational corporations, you're going to have compliance in the United States, even if there's a, a Brexit, a no-deal Brexit, a Brexit with a deal, or a Bojo doing uh, handstands because he can't seem to get anything through Parliament. Um, we should also note that his brother resigned from the uh, Conservative Party. That's how bad it was. And, of course, they kicked out Winston Churchill's grandson. Unbelievable. Nevertheless, um, Jonathan uh, Rouse talked about some of the compliance challenges. 
And he pointed out one that would seem to be uh, really on the forefront of what people need to think about, or at least the U.K. government needs to think about, which was uh, the harm to Britain's food and drink producers, because uh, Britain's food and drink producers export $22 billion worth of their products to the EU. Well, their license to do so uh, expires on October 31, uh, the day of the end of uh, the United Kingdom's relationship with the EU at this point, and or their membership, I should say. They've not applied to uh, have that license extended, and it's a five-month process uh, to uh, go through that. So uh, one might think that the United Kingdom would have uh, done the basic compliance work of having a license in place, and if you think about it, uh, there's probably a plethora of licenses from EU countries that want or need to get into the United Kingdom uh, to sell their products, as well as the United Kingdom needing their products. So uh, the UK government, uh, the British government, just seems to have their head completely buried in the sand, uh, literally from the top to uh, to the bottom, uh, and it's it's moving towards a disaster of uh, epic political proportions. So. Um, maybe, maybe Jay, the answer is much simpler than uh, you and I, the I'm thinking, I'm not quite sure what your thinking is. And a couple of boxes of Sharpies would take care of the whole situation. Uh, maybe Trump has an extra box or two, although they're clearly one of his favorite tools, uh, for communicating. Uh, but maybe we could just ship them a case of Sharpies or two and they could draw some lines around Ireland and that would be enough to, uh, to help them out. What do you think? I got very worried, Tom, when you talked about the British government's head, and I was happy to hear that it ended up in the sand and not somewhere else where it might be hiding. Next up, uh, a double dip with Jonathan Marks. Uh, what uh, what do you guys, or what does Jonathan think about the recent Juniper Networks enforcement action? So uh, Jonathan Marks has his own blog site called Board and Fraud, and as you might garner from the name of it, it looks at fraud issues from the board of director perspective. It's broader than that, but that's its basic focus. So uh, unique to the compliance world, uh, Jay, in that he's really the only guy talking about on a consistent basis the board uh, obligations. And he took a look at the recently released Juniper Networks um, FCPA enforcement action. I wrote about it. Matt wrote about it. Matt and I uh, podcasted about it earlier this week on compliance into the wings. But Jonathan uh, looked at it from the board perspective, and and he came away with uh, six key takeaways. One, seek to understand communication protocols and the escalation process, and these are takeaways for the board. Two, review the allegation log frequently, but no less than every 60 days to ensure investigations are done timely and ask questions. Three, ensure the the board or the audit committee is briefed timely on all serious matters by the chief audit executive and the chief compliance officer. Four, uh, question the discipline applied to bad actors and whether the risk assessment and training need to be modified. And five, challenge your CCO to provide the evidence of the existence of a strong ethics and compliance program. Uh, They never mentioned uh, if any discipline was applied, and that's certainly something that in the context of an FCPA investigation, a board should be asking questions. So um, great piece from Jonathan. Uh, Once again, Matt and I uh, took a deep dive into it on compliance into the weeds, so we link to that in the show notes. 
Uh, it's, it turned out, Jay, uh, I don't know what your thoughts were, but I thought it was a fairly uh, routine or even pedestrian FCPA enforcement action, but there was really a lot in there, a lot in the SEC cease and desist order. Um, Mike Volkoff and I did a podcast on it that we took it in a different direction. So lots to study, lots to think about, and lots for the compliance practitioner in terms of lessons learned from uh, uh, from it. And Jonathan really took that same mantra of lessons learned for the board of directors. So uh, our concluding news article for today comes to us from our good friend Dylan Tokar over at the Wall Street Journal's Risk and Compliance Journal. And our uh, Brazilian company, Odebrecht SA, uh, the construction conglomerate, has been uh, charged and will have to pay $50 million in charitable contributions to resolve alleged allegations of bribery under a deal reached with Latin American Development Bank. The payments will go to charities and nonprofit organizations that operate in Latin America, uh, the Inter-American Development Bank said on Wednesday. Under the agreement, certain subsidiaries will also be prohibited from bidding on bank-funded projects. The IDB settlement is the latest in a long series of setbacks for Odebrecht. So uh, if you recall, Odebrecht and Braska MSA back in 2016 struck parallel agreements with authorities and three companies to pay up to $4.5 billion with a B as part of the largest anti-corruption settlement in history. The IDB and its investigation revealed evidence of bribes paid by Odebrecht during a contract for a hydroelectric power plant in Venezuela and a highway. Under the terms of the settlement, uh, Odebrecht didn't contest the evidence, uh, the IDB said, and the company won't be required to start paying out the $50 million into 2024. So uh, Odebrecht, Braskem. Uh, Petrobras still in the news, still grinding through. Uh, Tom, in a couple weeks, or actually, actually in a little bit less than a month, uh, we will be out in Denver for the Converge 19 conference. And I know you started to uh, do some podcasting preview. Can you tell us who you spoke with this week? Sure, Jay. Uh, uh, I'm doing a series of podcasts on the uh, speakers at Converge 19. And this week I had uh, four up. Uh, because of the Labor Day holiday. On Tuesday, I visited with Rebecca Ream and Matt Doherty on the drip, drip, drip of compliance training. Wednesday was a really interesting discussion with Ubi Simonieri and Mark Thurman about the code of curiosity and dealing with bias in your organization. Yesterday, I have Norm Hodney from Microsoft who talked about bridging the digital divide for the disabled, a really fascinating conversation. And today, uh, going up at uh, 1, 1 p.m., Jane Arnault, um, from the Institute of Business Ethics on risk mitigation through encouraging a speak-up culture. So the series continues next week, uh, so check it out. It's on uh, the FCPA Compliance Report, J.D. Supra, uh, YouTube, and uh, it's got its own iTunes channel that I've linked to all of that. That really leads to uh, we are continued uh, authorized to offer complimentary tickets to listeners of this podcast, Jay. Uh, I've linked to registration in the show notes, but if you'll use the promo code FOXVIP, you'll be able to get a complimentary pass. So uh, I can't speak highly enough about Converge 19. I am extraordinarily excited. I'm going to get to give a keynote speech on the ethical edge, how effective compliance uh, leads to greater business efficiency and uh, more profitability at the end of the day. The um, 
educational seminars will be great. The conversations at lunch and breakfast will be centered around both industries and geographic areas. So there'll be lots of time for you to um, communicate, benchmark, uh, and ask questions uh, of your peers. So I hope you can join us. Jay and I are both going to be there. We are extraordinarily excited to uh, hold our first live Everything Compliance podcast. Uh, So we'll be uh, talking about that as we move forward. So, Jay, um, we are now uh, a couple of days away from the New England Patriots upholding the honor of the great state of New England uh, by uh, defending their Super Bowl title. Any thoughts on uh, where the Pats may be headed this year? Are we looking for uh, eight is great or is seven heaven? As many of these teams start off, they're going to have to shake a little of the rust off. Uh, New England is going to have to redevelop itself and reimagine itself like they do every year. Uh, The wide receiver core is in a little bit of uh, disarray, so I expect to be seeing a a, a healthy dose of the ground game and uh, three yards in a cloud of dirt. So I think they'll uh, they'll grind it out against Pittsburgh, but last night's snoozola fest between – Green Bay and Chicago uh, celebrating the 100th year meeting of these teams. Uh, Both of the offenses had a lot to go. And uh, as much as uh, defense wins championship, this is an offensive league, so I hope they get things going. Uh, How do the Texans look? Are they playing, is it Monday night? Uh, Who cares? Okay. Talk about the Astros then, and then we can get out of here. So uh, the best record in baseball came from a 7 Oh, deficit last night to uh, beat the Seattle Mariners. We are getting ready to roll and rock on as we bring it home. So you want to take us home, Jay? I will. So thank you for joining the compliance evangelist, Tom Fox, and big Houston Astros uh, Homer, and myself, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, for this week in the FCPA, episode 170 for the week ending September 6th, 2019, the Alabama Sharpie edition. Uh, Please take your time, walk calmly to your staples, and purchase your, uh, your Sharpie markers in an orderly fashion. Have a great weekend, folks. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have any questions, you can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. If you haven't done so, I hope you will register for the Converge 19 Summit uh, the first week of October in Denver. Both Jay and I will be there, and we'd love for you to be in the audience for the next live recording, or the first live recording of Everything Compliance. This week in FCPA, we'll be back next week where Jay and I will take a look at some of the top compliance and ethics stories which will catch our eye. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.